0: Buckle in, and let your brain take flight on the most interesting, most random history around. This is episode 59 of the History of Podcast. I'm Robert, and today's episode is the history of space junk. I'm glad you're tuning in, and uh, we'll have to take the airplane a little up in altitude for this one. Thankfully, we still have the egg gardens with us. And today's egg garden count is... 79. Uh, ooh. I say this every time, but it's actually a lot. Uh, that makes 1,260 eggs. Uh, and this semester, I've been taking an astronomy class, which has got me thinking a lot more about space, as it naturally would. My interest in space junk all started when a friend sent me a news article about a space-cleaning satellite. Last October, the Chinese space program launched a satellite designed to latch onto decommissioned satellites and throw them into an orbit where they're less likely to run into working things in space, like the International Space Station. And this got me thinking about how we treat our space environment, because orbital debris is really only hurting ourselves, and it makes it harder for all the different space programs. Actually a vast majority of the stuff we put in space is just junk now. And today, I'd like to talk about how we got to this point. The history of space junk actually goes back to before we started launching any rockets or satellites into orbit. How can that be? Well, in the 1940s and 50s, as the exciting possibility of rockets and satellites came closer to reality, Scientists argued over whether the space around Earth was filled with rocks and other stuff, or who knows what, or whether it was perfectly clear. Scientists had looked thoroughly for objects orbiting Earth, but the idea was that anything orbiting that close to the Earth would be too small and moving too fast to track, and so we would have no idea whether there was orbital debris floating around in space. But that uncertainty changed in 1957 with the launch of Sputnik 1, Sputnik 1 was a simple and elegant satellite, compared to the clunky ones we have today. It was a polished metal sphere with four antennas reaching behind it. It's a pretty iconic design, but I admit I didn't know what it looked like before this. Sputnik was 58 centimeters wide, which is about the size of a beach ball. Remember, previously, scientists believed something of this size would be too small and moving too fast to be tracked from Earth, so they were surprised when they were able to track Sputnik 1. Fortunately, Sputnik never contributed to any space junk. It actually burned up when it re-entered the atmosphere. The first incident of space junk creation, mark your calendars, everybody, was in 1958. Well, not really. That was when America launched its second-ever satellite into orbit, Vanguard 1. Vanguard 1 was doing pretty good until 1964, when it stopped working. Ladies and gentlemen, our first space space trash. trash... Sorry, I had to do it to him. (laughs) To this day, Vanguard 1 is still floating around Earth, which is pretty wild to think about. Vanguard 1 is known as what's called accidental debris, and that sounds like an obvious name, but it's actually one of the three space debris creation categories. The other two categories are mission-related debris and intentional debris. And I know those sound like the exact same things, but that's how the space program likes to do things. Just hang with me for a second. That second category, Mission-Related Debris, is anything created as a result of a successful mission. For example, when a satellite disconnects from its upper stage booster, the bolts connecting the two actually explode, which is super cool. But those bolts break up into little pieces that stay in orbit. And yeah, they're harmless little bolts, but they're moving at 17,000 miles an hour. But with all that space around Earth, what's the chance that a half-inch bolt would run into something else in space? You may have heard of Big Sky Theory, which is talked about mostly in general aviation and air traffic control, but it definitely applies to objects in orbit. Big Sky Theory essentially states that there's so much space in space that the chances of two objects running into each other is negligible. So we'll just not worry about it, and that's not true. In 1983, on the space shuttle Challenger's second mission, a uh, 02 millimeter speck of paint hit the Challenger's window and chipped the glass. That sounds pretty unassuming, but remember that this is a barely visible speck of paint. Incidents like this are actually pretty common, and out of the 88 space shuttle missions, over 70 windows had to be replaced. These windows aren't cheap either, they go for about $50,000 apiece. Our third type of space debris is intentional debris. This sounds a lot like mission-related debris, because mission-related debris is intentional to an extent, but this third category takes the word intentional to a whole new level. Maybe we should call it premeditated debris. Remember, the Cold War is going on in the background during the early space age, which will make the premeditated part make a lot more sense. Between 1968 and 1985, the US and the Soviet Union conducted a series of anti-satellite tests. By anti, I mean the same anti as anti-aircraft guns. The Soviet version of the anti-satellite weapons had its own satellite get right up next to the US satellite and then blow up right next to it. The US did something similar, except very America, where it ran itself into the Russian satellite. And all the 12 anti-satellite tests conducted by the US and Russia make up 7% of our current total space debris. With the cold war over, scientists shouldn't really have to worry about threats like this. But I'll leave that untouched for now. Uh... To avoid collisions, it can help to make satellites smaller, and in the past 15 years, we've seen smaller satellites going into orbit. This is great, because it takes less fuel to get into orbit. They're less expensive, and best of all, there's less satellite to be hit by space debris. But small satellites come with their trade-offs. Unlike larger satellites, small satellites usually don't have the ability to move out of the way if space debris comes down their way. Unlike larger satellites, small satellites usually don't have the ability to move out of the way when space debris comes their way. But how do satellite operators even know when something's coming down their way in the first place? To warn satellites that they need to maneuver around some space junk barreling down their space lane, we have the Joint Space Operations Center, better known as JSPOC, at the Vandenberg Air Force Base. I wonder if they intentionally had Spock in the name. Uh, when people at JSPOC detect a potential satellite collision, they tell the people at NASA who tell the satellite owners. There's also a company called ExoAnalytic Solutions that does this, and they contract to the government. So no need to worry, there's a lot of people keeping an eye on the stuff floating around in space. But some people are worried that maybe too many people are keeping track. Remember the Chinese space cleaning satellite I mentioned at the beginning? Some see this Chinese space cleaner as a threat, saying it could become just like the ending of the first episode of Space Force, where the US satellite gets disintegrated. That's nice. Well, before the airplane gets thrown out into space, I'll just quickly recap what we've covered so far over some intense music, because it's a lot. Before any satellites were ever launched, scientists argued over whether space was empty or chucked full of rocks. This argument was laid to rest when Sputnik 1 could easily be tracked from the ground. The first instance of space junk was in 1964, when the satellite Vanguard 1 stopped working. This was one of the three types of space debris. Accidental debris, mission-related debris, and intentional debris. Also, spacecraft windows are $50,000. Thankfully, satellites can evade space debris, and the j and Exoanalytic solutions let them know when they need to. And finally, we all might just get thrown out of space by China. That's been it. If you thought this was cool, tell a friend, and please hang with me for the last 30 seconds, because I use the magic word. Come on. I really hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, don't listen to the next episode just yet. I'd appreciate if you could take just 10 seconds to rate or write a review for The History Of. It really does make the episodes better. And if you think you have a friend who might enjoy this podcast, tell them about The History Of, their new favorite podcast and you might just make their day. I'd like to thank you all for your gracious, loyal support, and until the next one, I'm Robert Lackatosh. Thanks for listening.